Well, good morning. All right. So we are continuing in our series called Christmas Lights. And as part of this series, we take a song that is part of the culture. You've probably heard it on the radio a hundred times already this season, and you've heard it a hundred times since you were born. Um, this one's been hanging around for a little while, and I'm going to steal a little piece to kind of start my message off today. But the band's going to go ahead and lead us, and you can sing along if you know it and if you want to. This is called The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe can help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. All right, thank you. Yeah, that's good. It's a song you know, right? And the words in it are one of our favorite things about Christmas. The, the tiny tots with their eyes all aglow. Isn't that just, I mean, like the joy of a child at Christmas. It's, it's even a saying, like a kid at Christmas. I, I mean, it, it, it's part of the season. It's part of the things that we look forward to. And I, I'm going to share, share this story. And whenever you have to precursor a story, it always tells you that this, this is probably going to be somewhat of a strange story. I really am a nice dad. I just, I have to reassure you of this before I tell this story. Like, my, my kids, they love me. We have fun together. I am an engaged father, and I am, I am nice to them 364 days a year. But on that one day, on Christmas, I understand. I am, I am the mean dad on Christmas, but it's so fun. Um, <laughs> Because that, that moment where their eyes are all aglow, it's just so good that I don't ever want to let go of it. And if you're here at Christmas last year, you heard the story. And if not, I just feel like you need to know this about me, especially as we get into the message today. But we, we have a few rules around Christmas. The first one is we do not get up before 7 a.m. So if you wake up at 5 a.m. because you're so excited about presents, you can sit there and stare at them until the clock strikes 7. But until then, we ain't getting out of bed. And if you wake us up before, then we're moving it back some from there. So, so don't do that, all right? And so, you know, 7 a.m. Okay, can we open presents now? Um, no, we, we've got to get ready. Christmas pictures are forever. So we've got to get showered. And it's okay, you know, dad's got to shave. And, you know, this takes some time. And they're just buzzing. They're like, can we do presents? Okay, you know, everybody's dressed now. We've got to eat breakfast before we open presents, Right? And it's Christmas breakfast, so it's got to be like the best. So we've got to make pancakes and bacon and sausage and grits and biscuits and gravy, and we've got to make it all. And then we've got to get the Christmas plates out, the Christmas silverware, and we've got to have a nice, big, long breakfast together. And, and our four kids, like, you know, they're just like foaming at the mouth, like ready for presents. Okay, can, we finished breakfast, and we, and we cleaned up and moved the dishes away. Can we have presents now? We've got to read the Christmas story. <laughs> 
I mean, this is Christmas, and your dad's a pastor. Like, of course we're going to read the Christmas story about the greatest gift ever before we open our gifts. And so we sit down, and we read the Christmas story. And then the last thing, and this is like the, 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 the straw that breaks the camel's back. Dad's got to finish his cup of coffee. <laughs> and only one person controls how long that takes. That's right. And so my kids, they're just like stirred up and ready. But as a dad, like it's like one of my favorite things about the Christmas season is just how excited they are. And then, you know, in 15 seconds, all the presents are opened and they're already bored with them and back to doing their normal things. But, you know, it, it's that those moments, that anticipation, that glow, that passion, that light that is just coming out of kids. And, and I just want to just extract as much as I can and enjoy as much as I can be, because the rest of the days of the year, man, we just don't get that excited. And there's something about us as grown-ups that we've learned to tone down our passions. We've learned that like you, you don't let that kind of excitement and you don't let that kind of light just like radiate from you because if you do, then people might criticize you for various reasons or I don't know what it is. Maybe it was grade school where we all were taught to sit in rows and stay quiet and only speak when you raise your hand. And we've just kind of bottled and quieted down to where that kind of excitement, man, you just don't see that in grown-ups. Maybe some men during playoffs. But other than that, we don't see that in grown-ups, right? But what we see in Scripture is we see descriptions of passion and abundant love. And the calling that we have of how to live, it's not one that should be lived out in this boring, mundane way. And in fact, just even our culture of like how much when we're in church, like when we get excited about it, sometimes I know it's like, I want to say amen, but it's culturally weird to be the excited person. I mean, right, we, we've really toned down our passions. We've really toned down what we're excited about. And it's kind of toned down the amount of light that I think radiates from the church. Because we just adopted this mindset that the culture has about the appropriate display of emotion and passion and excitement when we should be a passionate people. We, we should be because of what we see taught in Scripture, because the love that was demonstrated for us. And we're going to look in the Gospel of John today as we continue to just study the, the birth of Christ, which is an interesting choice because it actually doesn't really dive into that. But at the beginning of the Gospel of John, before he tells all the stories of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the things that he did, the people that he healed, the way and the descent on the cross, the way that he was resurrected, before he gets into any of those things about who Jesus was and the disciples that followed him, he starts in a really interesting place. And we're going to pick this up. We'll project the words on the screen in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 first. And it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now there is a lot of illustration within this of saying, you know, the word and the light, and, and I, we're going to dive into some of this, and so hang with me, because I understand this is a little bit like head knowledge stuff, but, but when it says the word, the, the term here is the, the Greek word logos, which, which when we think of like logo, we think of a picture that illustrates a word. And, and in, in here, you, some of your translations will capitalize where it says word, because it's not just referring to a word or, or a picture, but it's referring to a person. 
And theologians and commentators who study biblical culture and history and write and help, help preserve information for us, one of the things that you see them often argue, in when they're, argue for when they're writing about this passage is the fact that when we read this in English, we shouldn't use the word, word, we should just keep the Greek word logos, like we do with other really important words that, that are so important that we don't want them to lose meaning when you translate, like the word Messiah or hallelujah. We could translate those into different words that are more common in English, but because it has such rich meaning, we've kept them. And this is one of those, because the word logos, it, it calls back to actually the creation story. And that's where he's wanting to start, because he says before we dive into these stories and these teachings of Jesus Christ, you have to understand some truths about the identity of who we're talking about. Because this person is unlike anyone else, and what it says is that in the beginning, the, the logos, the word, already existed. This is a title for Christ. He already existed. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And it begins to paint this picture of when you think back to the creation story in Genesis 1, we see that the heavenly Father is there. And in fact, it, it, it calls out that the Spirit of God was there over the waters as well. And what John is beginning and saying, I want you to understand that at that point of creation, that Jesus was there. And, and that he is not part of the created order. He is not just like you or I, and he's not just a good person. But he it was part of creation to the effect that everything that was spoken into existence, it flowed through him. So when he says that he is going to accomplish something, I mean, this is comparable to the mouthpiece of God speaking and saying, let there be light. The authority in the person of Jesus Christ is that of eternal nature, of un understandable power. You cannot comprehend the power that exists in this person. This is not just a mere baby that was born in, in impoverished circumstances, but this is the person of God in flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him. It, there, there, this is a spoiler before all the other things that, that Jesus would do. Before we get to any of those things, he was of eternal power, and you have to understand that before we get to the stories about who he was. And then the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light that, that follows the person of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful illustration of the reality of what happens when you allow God to get involved in your life. When you allow God to order who you are as a person. When you allow his precepts to, to determine the way that you live. When you do that, it's compared to light coming into a dark situation. And I think this, this is such a perfect picture because so often when someone has been living far away from God and you invite them to church, they say a sentence like this that I've heard a thousand times. Man, if I come through the doorway of that church, the church is gonna catch fire or lightning is gonna hit me because I've made so many mistakes in my past that I could not possibly go into a church building. Like, there, there's too much baggage, there's too much things that surround me that if I go there, it would be a bad situation. There's too much darkness around me. But here's the thing about light and darkness. Darkness can never overcome light. In fact, what darkness is, darkness is an absence of light. Darkness isn't anything at all. And so when we think about how sinful someone's been or how many mistakes they've made or how far they've been away from God, they're, they're all in the same category. It's not how evil they are. It's the fact that they're in darkness. And there's either the category of you have Christ in your life or you do not have Christ in your life. Light 
pushes the darkness back. Light, the, the darkness disappears before him. And, and it doesn't matter how dark it is, it's all the same because light always does its job in the same way. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. No matter how far you've moved away from God, no matter what you've done, no matter what your mistake has been, the darkness can never extinguish the light of Christ in your life. The darkness has no power over it. The only thing that the darkness can do is disappear and run away from the light. It has no power over it. And so I want to encourage you in this way, with this statement, that the darkness around you can never overpower the light inside of you. The darkness around you, whatever your family has been like, whatever your life has been like, the darkness that has been around you, it can never overpower the light that is inside of you because that light and that life, it comes from Christ himself. And it is dependent on his power, not your power, not your ability to take care of yourself, not your ability to choose right from wrong. It's something that God has given you. And it's something that the darkness has no power over. The word brings life and light. And the word has made its home among us. It's a beautiful picture. The passage continues on, and I'm going to take a quick time out because I meant to do this at the beginning. Uh, While standing outside greeting this morning, um, I had another reminder of how old I am getting. My left knee just straight up gave out. Like, I tried to turn like one of those, you know, way too aggressive things to do at my age apparently, but I just turned this way, and my knee was like, I'm done for today. Um, So I'm going to sit today more than I normally do, and if you're wondering why, that is why. So, continuing on, back to our regular scheduled program. Um, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 6, we're going to put up on the screen. The passage continues, and it says that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. We're going to pause there for a minute because I want to talk about John the Baptist for just a second. It says that John the Baptist was a witness to the light, and he was a point of evidence. He was a point of proof to the believers at that time who were following God that were in the temple system, and it was also a fulfillment of prophecy that was written that there would be someone who preceded the Messiah, and he would make a way in the wilderness for the Messiah. So, so John was a point of evidence, and John, he himself said, I am not the light. And it, it's, it's, it teaches me a few things. One, first of all, you're, you don't have to be Christ, but you have to be someone who points towards Christ, the same way that John the Baptist was. You don't have to be perfect. That's not your calling. Your calling isn't to always have it all together, but to be someone who continues to point towards Christ, the same way that John the Baptist did. The second thing is that he was a piece of evidence, but he was a piece of evidence that people largely just discarded. It it says that, you know, his purpose was to give testimony. John was not the light himself, but he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. In verse 11, it says, he came to his own people, and they rejected him. I mean, he was a source of evidence, and he was a strong source of evidence. I mean, people were getting baptized. Lives were changed. He was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. John was was an important figure, but people still looked at that piece of evidence, and they said, "Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I'll pass. And I want to compare this to something in our own experience in life because as a pastor and having sat and counseled with many people through 14 years, I've seen this play out. And a lot of times when someone is in this balance where they they say, you know, I 
part of me like wants to go towards God, but part of me is still struggling. And so I've landed at this point where I'm, I'm asking, I'm demanding that God give me a miracle. And when God gives me a miracle, then I'll believe. And then that'll be enough evidence and I'll be convinced. And I've seen times where God actually gave the, that, that miracle and they were like, if God would just give me a miracle. And I'm like, God just did. I mean, like a stop sign could blast through your car windshield and stop right in front of your face and you would still say that you didn't have a sign. Be, because the real thing at issue isn't God give me a, a miracle. The real thing at issue is, is that people usually reach this point where they realize, if I step forward in my faith, it's not convinced me something. And I'm not sure that I want to pay the cost, and so what I'll do is I'll say, I'm just not convinced yet. I need God to, to, to give me a sign, give me a miracle, and then I'll really believe. And, and it's like the, the hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled in Scripture, that's not enough of a sign. The fact that he wrote on the fabric of who you are as a person, that when you look at the skies and the mountains, there's part of you that responds that says, there must be a God. The fact that matter and energy actually even exists, and existence isn't just void and empty, that should be enough of a sign that there is a God in heaven who loves you, that he sent his Son in flesh to let you know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. Those are all signs enough. And if those signs aren't enough for you, no matter what he does, no matter how he lights up the sky, you will still struggle with the fact that you want to do what you want to do instead of following what he has commanded you to do. And it's a point of struggle, and it's, it's, it's a life or death moment in our faith because we realize there is a cost to following Christ. It'll, it'll cost me my pride. If I have to be a servant to others, then I'm not gonna, I might not look as important as I want to look. It's going to cost me control I, I want to choose what I do. I, wa I don't want to give that authority to God to tell me where I should live, how I should live, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. It's going to cost my reputation. People will say stuff. I might be the butt of people's jokes if I start living for God. It, it could cost pleasure. I enjoy some of my addictions right now, and I don't want to let go of them. But I want to reassure you that, that when you give yourself to God, yeah, you, your pride might feel some pain. But you will be more respected, which that's your fear. I won't be respected. When you, when you honor God in your life and you live for him, you'll experience a new level of respect from people that is only found in someone who, who lives for God and honors him in the way they, they live. Control, quite honestly, we're the, we're the worst at controlling our own life, aren't we? I mean, it, it hasn't gone so great in the past. But God, he spoke the world, the universe into existence, all the laws of physics that have been discovered and are yet to be discovered, he wrote. His control is unfailing. And when we place our life in his hands, we know that he is good and we know that his timing is perfect. Reputation, I'll tell you what, you'll be known for something far better when you begin to live for God. Pleasure, I understand you might think your addiction feels good, but your freedom will feel even better. All of those things that are fears that often keep us from saying yes to living God's way, uh, I believe that you experience the fullness of them when you live for God. Colossians 3.5 talks about this moment, this truth that we have to put to death sinful, earthly things that are lurking within our life is the way that it says it in Colossians 3.5. There's a, there's a death to self, life to God moment that each one of us has to choose, that I understand that I'm a child of God and he loves me no matter what, but if I'm gonna be in on this, then some things are gonna have to change. And there's a moment that each one of us have to make that decision. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to make that decision because God gave you a sign. You're going to make that decision because you trust him enough with what he's already told you. Because you'll take him at his word. Because you've realized his word is always good. And his ways are always right. 
the light was rejected. I mean, in here, even though John the Baptist did exactly what it's to do, so many people rejected the light of Christ and who he was. Picking back up at verse 12, it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not of a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from birth that comes from God. And this is interesting in this verse where it says, but he gave the right. Some of your translations also say power. It's this truth that we have the ability the, the benefit, the, the situation where when we say yes to God, we can become adopted children into his kingdom. And, and this is a beautiful truth, but you know, the thing that I haven't seen in all the times that I've tortured my kids and put presents before them and made them wait all morning, and then I said, hey, you can open this now. I've never seen them say, ah, no, dad, I think we'll just wait a little bit longer. <laughs> I mean, it just hasn't happened. Like, they're, they're, they're ready for the gift when it's available for them. But so many of us, like God has laid this gift in front of us and said, walk closely with me. Be called my child. Allow me to speak into your life. And so many of us have just said, no, God, not yet. Um, I'm not ready for that yet. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that later. The unfortunate thing is that so many people in our city, not countries far away, so many people in our city, they haven't heard about Christ in a way that they understand and can respond to. And we have to find opportunities to share about this truth. And, and, you know, being in church, this is one of them. But from the mouths of his people, his body, the church, the people of Christ, we have to be people who find ways to share about this hope with other people. And an invitation to church is great, but I'm going to tell you, especially right now, our city is surrounded with opportunities for you to talk about Christ. And as much as you feel like the government, oh, they're, they're trying to write Christ out of Christmas, it doesn't matter what they do. They don't have control over what you say. And even if there's not a nativity in front of city buildings, there are wreaths, there are trees with lights on them. There are so many opportunities, and we need to see those opportunities, and we need to seize them. Seize them. Every light is a picture of Christ being a light that shines into the darkness. That when you're in line at Publix, and they have a wreath on the wall, it, you have the ability to look at your bagger and say, I love that wreath, because you know what that wreath means? It's a circle, and that's a symbol of the eternal nature of God. Isn't that awesome that God is eternal, that he never changes, and we can always trust him no matter what the day brings? That when you see a Christmas tree and you're standing with your kids, you can say, do you know that that's an evergreen tree? That, that it doesn't lose its leaves, but it stays green all year round. Just like God is good all of the time, every season of life. God is always good. See that star on the tree? That star, it led the wise men to, to, to Jesus. And, and, and God, he continues to give, give, give us evidence and reasons to lead us towards him. And we can look in scripture, and God will use his scripture to point us towards him. Stars remind us that, that God is drawing us towards himself. Santa, even see Santa. You know what? Santa gives good gifts, but you know who gives the best gifts? God gives the best gifts. He gave us his son. And, and so you see Santa somewhere, you talk about Jesus. It's not a fight between Santa and Jesus. Like, I mean, being generous, that's honoring to God. That's an okay thing. And, and so some Christians will actually fight back and say, you know what, I don't celebrate Christmas the way that everyone else does because Christmas is actually on winter solstice, and winter solstice, that was like a pagan holiday. And, and that's the devil's day. And so I'm going to celebrate Christ's birth close to Easter like they used to, and I'm going to do it that way. Let me tell you something. If Satan owns anything, I want to steal it from him. And so if you tell me that he owns a day, 
I don't want him to keep that day. You tell me he owns a city, I'm going to take that city from him. You tell me he owns a person, I want to see that redeemed. Because you know what? If Christmas used to be a pagan holiday, I used to be a pagan too. And then Christ got a hold of me and he changed everything. So I don't care if other people think that that's the devil's day. I'm going to make this Christ day. And I'm going to honor Christ and I'm going to celebrate Christ. And that's the truth of every holiday in the day that it's celebrated on with Christians. So if someone tries to throw that in your face, just say, you know what? I'm just like that holiday. And, and I don't care. And I want to find any other holidays where people are dishonoring God. And I want to find a way to honor God. And I want to see God take that over. Because anything, every single day that I wake up, the truth is still there. That this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it and be glad. And so I don't care what the day is. I don't care what the history is. I'm going to honor God in it. And, and so, church, there are so many opportunities around you to honor God. And, and we don't have to hole up and we don't have to hide from what our city is doing. We need to be out in our city and be a presence of light in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, back to the notes we go. In the passage, it concludes that section, but all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. At that moment of belief, all those who place their trust, they are adopted as a dearly loved child, no matter what the past has been, no matter how dark it's been, it doesn't matter. And so many people in our city, they need to know this truth, and they need to know it in a way that they will understand it. And this is something that's very close to my heart, uh, I was in youth ministry for, for years before I became a, a, a church planter. And it's amazing how our teenagers throughout every state that, that, that I've been in, so many of them just have no knowledge of the person of God. They have no knowledge of Scripture. And as I'm able to come here during the week and meet with the principal and meet with other staff members and talk about what we're doing here as a church and find ways that we can support them, I, I, I'm in the office and you see students coming through crying and getting counsel and, and talking about what's going on in their life. And it, and, and it breaks my heart that they're so desperate for any adult to speak truth to them that they're turning to people who, I mean, evidenced by some of the things that, that you can see right there, they're still figuring it out, and they don't have good answers to provide. And I'm going to get back to the passage in a second, but this is one of my heartbeats for 2019. Man, I am so proud of you guys as a church and what you've done in 2018. But one of our big heartbeats for 2019, we've got to push youth ministry forward in our church. And I want to say that differently, actually, for our city. Because it would be great for our church to have a youth group that meets in a room that is ours, and, and our kids can come to it, but we want a youth ministry that's going to go to students where they are in their schools. And this is going to be a point that I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, but it's so, it's so connected to this truth that as soon as someone believes, they can become a child of God, and they will experience a hope and a love and healing that they would have never expected. And in verse 14, it continues on that thought, and, and the person of who Christ is, who this baby is that was born. And it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know, when it says he made his home among us, he had a much better house to live in before. He had, he had much 
better comfort. He, he had respect. He had praise. He was who he was seen in everyone's eyes that saw him as who he was. His glory was radiating in heaven. He was God in his fullness. And he came to earth where he was ignored, he was rejected, he was abused, he was criticized, he was mocked, he was put to death. He made his home among us, despite all those things. I mean, this is one of those things where it just continues to, to be, be that heartbeat that we see really well written in Luke 19.10, which is just one of our heartbeats as a church. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus made his home among us when he had a much better home that he could have stayed in, but he made a decision that he was going to move towards his dearly loved lost children. And church, the way that we live, the way that we give, the way that we serve, I want to continue to just pour that heartbeat into us that we exist for the people who do not go to this church. We, we live, we use our finances, we use our time to pour into people who are hurting and who are far from God because of the example of the way that Jesus lived. He made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is something that when we experience, I believe that we, we desire to share it with someone else. And if I'm speaking about the, this need and this desire to invest in people who don't go to our church, using our resources for people that we haven't even met yet, if that feels foreign to you, then, then man, I think you might need to search this out. But for those of you guys whose life have been impacted from Christ, I know that you're on board with me that we want to share this message everywhere that we can. We, we, want, we want to re-gift this message. You guys are familiar with re-gifting, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. You've all done it. I see, I see. Um, you know, I, I'm going to tell on some, some people here, but it, it, it's okay. Uh, we gave a Gulfside coffee mug to, to some, some friends of ours, the Elephant Gift to Gulfside Church, and they have common friends with us as well, and they went to a white elephant gift exchange, and you gave away my mug. <laughs> I know it, <laughs> because your friends ratted you out immediately. <laughs> Now, it's okay, because you didn't go to our church yet. They go here now, though. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, that, but, which is awesome. But, but it's funny, because sometimes, you know, a re-gift happens because you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want this. I don't need this. And, and, and you give something away. Sometimes you, you give something because you don't want it. Sometimes you re-give something because you're like, this is awesome, and I want to share it with you. Like, my wife got a gift from her friend Heather. It's one of those tile things you put on your keys, and if you lose your keys, I would never suggest my wife needs this, but if you were to lose your keys frequently, you can go to your phone and make it beep. And if you lose your phone, you can go to your computer and make the phone beep. And so you can create this chain of finding the lost things. But she immediately gave one to my wife, and it may have slightly changed her life for the positive. Um, sometimes we give things because it's awesome, and we love it. And, and I want to say, we as a church... I want us to give a thriving youth ministry to our city. I want us to have thriving ministries in all areas, but it's not for our own benefit. It's because we know the fullness, the faithfulness, the unfailing love of Jesus Christ, and we want to see that gift given to everyone who hasn't had a chance to respond to it. Band, I'm going to begin to, to wrap this up. Um, the, the, the third point is you have been given unfailing love and faithfulness. Regift it. Find a way to give that gift away uh, of a love that comes from Christ that never fails. Uh, last week, I, I talked about 
Christmas lights and respect to, for a Christmas light to do what it's designed to do. Like this Christmas light, it's not doing much right now. But for a Christmas light to do what it's designed to do, it has to be plugged into a power source. In the same way, we can't accomplish our purpose until we're connected to Christ. And when we're plugged in, then, then that light will shine in the darkness, and it will do its job, and it'll be beautiful, and it'll, it'll be amazing. And I want to end with an illustration about Christmas trees. Uh, mo- most of us have these, these set up already in our homes. Some of you guys, you still have a spouse trying to get you to finish it. Um, and, and, and I'm sure you'll get there. You know, there's no need to remind you, like, every day. Um, but <laughs> the, the Christmas tree is something that we set up inside of our home. And, and when someone is close to you, they, they'll come in your house and they'll see your Christmas tree. And they'll see the lights that are on it, and, it, and it's a beautiful thing. And I want to compare this to our relationship with God. That it's my hope that the light of Christ is inside of your life. That you, in a personal way, you'd say, I've made a decision to follow Christ. I've made a decision uh, of death to self and life to God in the way that I live. And I hope that that lights up the inside of your life. But I also hope that it's not like you have to get through the front door of your life before you begin to see the lights of Christ. That as people look at the outside of your life, this is the any Christmas light, they don't see the light of Christ, that, that it's almost compared to the outside. This is my encouragement, church. We can't just be a church where the light of Christ is on the inside of our life and it's hidden away, but we have to be the type of church, the type of person, the type of family, that, that when you stand outside, you can see the Christmas decorations for miles because it, it shines with light. It, it shines with things in the yard. There's so many pictures of the person and the love and the story of Christ in our life that it's not just a Christmas tree hidden away inside, but it's the lights that light up everything outside. And the Christmas lights that are outside your house, they're not really for you. They're for the people passing by. Because I know we spend most of our time inside our house. The Christmas tree, we see that more than we see the lights outside. For the way that we live our life and for the way that we operate as a church, we have to make an investment. Is this light shining beyond these walls? And I believe we've done some great things towards that, but I believe that there's some steps that we need to take. And uh, I'm going to make an ask of you uh, as your pastor. And I think you'd agree with me that I don't, I don't do this too often. But we're, over the next three weeks, uh, until the end of the year, until December 30th, we're going to receive a Christmas offering. And this offering is going to go towards pushing youth ministry forward in our church. And it's not because we want to have a great youth ministry. It's because we believe the city needs a great youth ministry. It needs another great youth ministry. And this school, Island Coast, they have begged me and asked me to be involved and more involved beyond what is my capacity. And we have a great volunteer who's leading our youth ministry in a home right now, but we need someone, yeah, that's right, uh, but we need someone who can invest in going out towards students who will not come to church yet, who are here in the high school, that they can begin to impact. And so, there's going to be two things that happen in this next year. One, I believe our youth ministry will push forward. Two, I believe we're going to send kids to summer camp for the first time as a church. And this is the picture that I see. We're going to bring the kids up on stage before they leave to go to summer camp this summer. And there's going to be some faces that you've never seen before. Because their families don't go to church. But they were here at the high school, and the person that we enabled to do youth ministry met them, 
got them connected, and they've come to Christ, and they're going to grow, grow in Christ because we as a church invest in this. And so families, this is the ask. Would you see the student that we have not yet met as one of your children this Christmas? And would you give as you are able to the level or beyond of what you've given to your own children towards this offering? And that through that gift, we're going to be able to see kids come to Christ. And we're going to be able to see people who are far from God experience this amazing fullness of love and faithfulness. And you can give to that fund by either writing Christmas on the offering envelope or online there's a drop-down box that you can select. And I believe that this is connected to our mission as a church. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were found. And he will use us as the light to push this mission and vision forward. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the principal, we pray for the faculty, we pray for the, the teachers here at this high school and the other high school that are crying out for help and asking for prayers because so many hurting students need hope. And Father, we want to claim these students who are known as lost. We want them to be found. We want them to be filled with your love. We want to see them discipled. We want to see them grow into men and women of God. And Father, however that, that needs to play out, whether through our service or through our gift of giving, Lord, use us because we believe this mission has to move forward. They need to hear the gospel in a way that they understand. And Lord, I pray for every person here that your light would be shining brightly in their life, in their household, and then beyond their household out to their neighbors. You've given us a great opportunity. Help us to seize it. We thank you for the, the many blessings you've given us in Jesus' name.